Hello and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and the co-host Better Than Jam and Toast is with me today, Andy. Pretty good, Michael. Are you Are you pretty good? I'm pretty good. You can't spread me that well, but I'm, a, I'm, sp- I'm already spread pretty thin over here, so don't try and put me on anything else, all right? <laughs> no, 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 man. We're, we're, not, we're not trying to spread you too thin. But guys, we're glad that you can join us again. If you're watching us on YouTube, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button, and as well as that notification bell so you can know what the hell we're doing over here, because we are uploading new things on the daily, Andy, on the daily. Am I, am I exaggerating? Oh, no, I'm definitely getting those notifications now. <laughs> That's right. So if you missed last week's episode, uh, speaking of YouTube posts, we took a look at the life and crimes of a former MMA fighter and Hollywood one-hit wonder, Joseph Son, which some of you may remember as the character Random Task from the first Austin Powers movie. Uh, His life basically revolved around a brutal kidnapping, rape, and torture that went unsolved for almost 20 years before a DNA test sealed the silent henchman's fate. But for our case this week... We're going to be talking about convicted serial murder and rapist Anthony Sowell, otherwise known as the Cleveland Strangler. I really don't know how this guy has flown under our radar for so long, Andy. I felt the same um, way after when I first pop, when this guy first popped up on one of my like suggestions. I was like the Cleveland Strangler. I've heard of so many other Stranglers, but right? Yeah, the Cleveland. Like it seems like when you when you hear his story, it feels like it should have been a lot more like bigger news to us at this. You point. You know what his case lacks? It lacks a, an investigation, a long term investigation. It's like once they got onto this guy, once some once some witnesses started talking, he went down fast. Yeah, you know so what they, I mean. They didn't have that long-term, like, do we have a serial killer in our midst? Like, they didn't have, like, the task force no. hunting for a serial killer. It just kind of, like, they just kind of found him. To yeah, extent. exactly. It's enough stuff added up about this guy, and the police looked into him, and they're like, holy shit. <laughs> there is so much here. Oh, yeah. Um, but to give a quick summary on him, Anthony Sewell is an American serial killer found guilty of committing a series of crimes between 2007 and 2009. His 11 victims... All women were each lured to his home on Imperial Avenue with the promises of drugs or alcohol, only to then be met with unprovoked violence from the Marine veteran. After serving 15 years in prison for an assault committed in 1989, where Anthony pled guilty to the attempted rape, he was released back into the public in 2005. However, it wouldn't be long before the troubled felon began to turn his violent tendencies into a deadly murder spree that would shock the Cleveland streets for years to come. Despite him being one of the more recent serial killers in America, we actually hadn't heard of him before getting into this case. Like, I'm kind of ashamed to say, um, and like me and Andy talked about, it, maybe it's just because the investigation was so was so quickly done and cut and dry because, I mean, all it took was a search of his premises. Yeah, which we that wasn't hard to get the warrant for. Yeah, there's no like the hunt for the detective searching for a certain killer, or there's no there's not that like long timeline of events where someone's like trying to ca- check or like chase somebody for so long. It all just kind of exactly. happens so quickly. It's yeah, I, you're right. It does fall under the radar because we're it, missing that investigation. Exactly, it must. Now, now you brought this case to my attention, and you know you wrote the timeline for us this week. Thank you very much, Andy. But why, why did you pick? Why did you pick this case? I mean, of all the things. Well, because I think that was one of the reasons I did want to pick it because of the fact that we've been doing this for so long, and you've been doing this for even longer than I have. Yeah. And the fact that this was a legitimate 
modern day serial killer in our lifetimes, like in our our, our adult lifetimes to an extent. Yeah. And we were really unfamiliar with it. We had no idea that this happened not too far away from us. This was in Cleveland, Ohio. That's what, like a five, six hour drive from us? Maybe, maybe, maybe eight. eight. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's not even that far of a drive. And this is something that we've been doing this for so long. I feel like we should have already heard about it. So yeah. I'm almost doing this out of like shame for ourselves to be like, oh, we 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 owe it to everybody else to do this. It, at this yeah, point. it is at this point, uh, be do, doing true crime for nearly seven years. When someone says serial killer, I'm I'm like, eh, I probably heard of him. Probably yeah. heard of him. And I have seen his face, you know, in my searches, looking for cases and whatnot. I have seen his face, um, but I couldn't put a name to it, and I had no idea that he was this prolific and this disturbed. So let's get into it, guys. Let's get down to business. Andy, how about you roll that intro and let's dive into it. I will get right on that. Little do we know he was there the whole time. How could we know he was there the whole time? Making the whole road smell like a pigsty. Roll up your window, he walked by. Blamed it on his mama, why he was so mean. Blamed it on his mama, she took everything. Gathered up his problems, took him out in the street. Danger to everyone he meets. The streets of Cleveland were never the same. Gonna take a lot of time, a lot of rain to wash the shadow off them sidewalks. Lots of tears, and lots of long talks. Missing the soul's loss. The streets of Cleveland pay the cost. Said he was crazy, but crazy don't hide. Said he was crazy, but he knew inside. He's long past angry. Somebody had to die But that ain't crazy Cause crazy don't hide Streets of Cleveland were never the same Gonna take a lot of time A lot of rain To wash the shadow off them sidewalks Lot of tears, a lot of long talks Missing the souls lost The streets of Cleveland paid the cost Little did we know He was there the whole time how could we know he was there the whole time? Making the whole road smell like a pigsty. Roll up your window, he's walking by. All right, guys, so let's start with the incident that cracked this nut open. 
Okay, it was September of 2009. Latondra Billups visited Anthony Sowell's residence after he had presented her an offer for some free drugs. All right, that's enough to get me to your residence, Andy. I feel like you drugs know, are never free, though. They are never free. Nothing is free. Never that's free, That's a lesson guys. you learned right here. It was September of 2009. Latondra Billups visited Anthony Sowell's residence, but after entering... Latondra was almost immediately subjected to a vicious assault from the Sowell, completely unprovoked. He beat Latondra repeatedly before eventually raping her and then strangling her using an electrical cord until she lost consciousness. But fortunately for Latondra, she regained consciousness, and much to her surprise, Sowell allowed her to leave the house, believe it or not, probably because he asked her if she could remember what had happened and she seemed spacey like you would coming back from fainting mm -hmm. you know or going unconscious so whether due to concerns about the drugs that were present in her system or due to the intimidation uh, that was inflicted by Sowell Latondra chose not to alert police immediately after her attack roughly one month later on October 20th another woman by the name of Sean Morris visited Sowell's residence with the offer of drink and drugs as well after her first visit with Anthony, Morris left the home without any issues. However, she realized that she had left her ID at his house and she had to go back to get it. I guess Sowell saw this as an opportunity and he started attacking Morris as well. And in a moment of fight or flight, Morris managed to escape by climbing out of a window located on the third floor of Sowell's residence. Noticing this odd incident, uh, concerned neighbors promptly dialed 911 and reported a naked woman falling from Sowell's third-story window. Unfortunately, Morris also initially declined to talk with the police, and Sowell was nowhere to be found when the officers arrived. So, with no witnesses or a suspect, the police were kind of stuck. I mean, at least they did show up. Like, they, they, the police did show up to the residence. They actually right. looked around. And this it, is one thing that they do talk about. It's like they knew something was weird here, but because there's no witnesses or a suspect, they they had to go. They kind of just had to leave. They had to. And in their defense, I mean, if you show up at a house and they're like, okay, is this the house? Is this the house the guy that the lady fell from? Yeah. Okay. Well, she's obviously not hurt. She's gone. Yeah. Where's she's the not lady? here. Where is she? Okay, they knock on the door. No one answers the, the door. They can't bust in the door for someone coming out the window. Exactly. They, you know what I mean? Be, it could be the homeowner just leaving it. They can't just... It's nothing that's not probable cause enough. No, absolutely not. Absolutely. So it was a week later now when Latondra, the woman involved in the previous assault, finally decided to file a report against Sewell. It was now, with Latondra's report in hand and the incident involving Morris, law enforcement officers were able to secure a warrant to search Sowell's residence. But no amount of training or preparation would have been able to get these officers ready for what they were about to find inside this house of horrors. A house that could rival that of John Wayne Gacy's, and I hate to bring up John Wayne Gacy, but, I mean, when you think of houses being torn apart and houses of horrors, that is just one of the top ones, right? Bodies in the crawl space, bodies in the walls, bodies buried here and there. This house, very, very, very similar. It did. And even in the news broadcast and, like, the coverage of it, it did give off a very Gacy-esque vibe of yeah. them just kind of hauling bodies out on stretchers or in body bags or just yeah. coming out of this house. Like, how many more are they going to pull out? Like, it just kept coming. So, yeah, it was yeah. a very, like... Gacy-esque incident there. Exactly, exactly. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to pause right here before we tell you what is in this awful home, 
And we're going to go back and talk about the man who lives there. Okay, let's go back and see what created Anthony Sewell. He was born Anthony Edward Sewell on August 19, 1959, and he was raised in East Cleveland, Ohio, and would grow up as one of seven children raised by his single mother, Claudia Gertrude Garrison. Now, after the death of one of Sewell's sisters, seven additional children from her family came to live under Gertrude's roof. Okay, during all this time, according to Sewell, he had a distressing and abusive upbringing, primarily brought on by his mother, Gertrude. I'm sensing some mommy issues here, Andy. That's, it's another checkbox, right? I mean, Gertrude's, but, that's a strong name right there. That's, Gertrude's got a heavy hand. How just, else do you control 14 kids, Andy? Like I say, a, a lady like Gertrude, she that's, by a, herself? She that's almost a, gotta heavy have a heavy handed hand. woman right there. That's a, that's a strong handed woman, a Gertrude. That is a heavy handed woman. And uh, we have some tes testimony from the house. According to Sowell's niece, Liana Davis, Gertrude subjected them to various forms of physical and emotional abuse. And when I say them, I mean the other seven children that came, uh, while her own children would be made to watch the abuse from other areas of the house and whatnot in other rooms. One horrifying incident involved Gertrude coercing Davis to undress in front of the other children. And once nude, she then lashed her granddaughter with an electrical cord until she bled. Now that is excessive. That's a that's no matter what. <laughs> I understand. Like you got a you got a house of fourteen kids. It could get a little crazy. And now you got to keep the peace. But that no, that's abuse. That's now. that you're, is abuse. That's too much. You've crossed discipline into abuse now. That is way too much. Uh, from other disturbing accounts, Sowell himself began forcing himself on his niece nearly every day for a period of two years, starting when she was just ten years old and he was only eleven. At 11, you learn that from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Davis also reported that the other male members in the house participated in these attacks as well. Yeah, there's 14 children in that house. There's a, like a good number Dude, of males and females. How there. did his brothers end up, right? That's, mm -hmm. man, that's a sideshow. We need to see if we, what we can find on that. But at the age of 18, as a way to get away from home, Sowell enlisted in the U.S. Marine Corps, where he served for seven years before being honorably discharged in 1985. There's your military service. He would spend a good portion of his time in the service down here in the Carolinas uh, with stints in California and Japan. Unlike other serial killers, though, he actually he did pretty well in the military. For like a seven-year stint, he, uh, he did relatively well there. Actually, most of the serial killers did do well in the military. I feel like they, they always had the problems with authority, though. They had problems, like, actually doing well, there what are they a were few, told. There are a few, yeah, that had problems. But, I mean... But he was, like, making it a career. He but was, there's like, just as many who loved it. Yeah, he, like, learned, elect he learned electrical work and, like, learned how to, like, oh, make, yeah. it a, make it a trade and stuff like that. He was trying to, like, make money off of it. Right, so. right. But upon his discharge from the Marines, Anthony would return to Cleveland. Once back in his hometown, Sowell quickly began racking up a criminal record. His first offenses were fairly minor, involving drugs and alcohol, but it wouldn't take long for him to turn to domestic violence. In 1989, Anthony's true nature became evident. During an evening spent together, a woman who happened to be three months pregnant at the time tried to leave Sowell's residence, and Anthony snapped. He restrained her hands and feet using a tie and a belt before gagging her with a piece of cloth. The victim of the attack would later express that, quote, he exerted severe pressure around my throat, causing a tingling sensation throughout my body. I genuinely believed my life was in imminent danger." End quote. 
that feels like a very like a court testimony. That seems like a like a char- like a legal testimony to an extent. It does. It's, it's very legal esque in the wording. Yes, it is. I'm sure that was her yeah her court testimony. Uh, subsequently, in 1990, Anthony was brought to trial and faced multiple charges of kidnapping, rape, and attempted rape. Anthony would plead guilty to the attempted rape charge and would have to serve 15-year prison term for his crimes before being released in 2005, which we touched on earlier. Now, Sowell found work off and on around town before landing himself in a local factory, where he would stay until 2007. After losing that job, he began collecting unemployment benefits, and then it was kind of all downhill from there. He never really got a regular job ever again. It was around this time that Anthony would move into the house on Imperial Avenue, the House of Horrors. Setting himself up in an already poverty and crime-stricken area of Cleveland, Sowell would begin to quickly show his true colors. Anthony did somehow manage to live a somewhat normal and unsuspecting life, even going so far as to begin a romantic relationship with one of the nieces of the then mayor of Cleveland. A woman who would go on to tell investigators that the time she would visit Sowell's home, she would be hit with an overwhelming stench that seemed to envelop the house, and it was even noticeable from the street. Sowell would originally blame this odor on his stepmother, who had lived with him temporarily at the home on Imperial Avenue. But after she would move out, Anthony then began to blame the smell on the meat shop next door. Old Ray's Sausage Shop. How dare he? I was going to tell you about this. I didn't really put it in the timeline, but these guys paid thousands of dollars, like twenty to like $30,000. To fix the smell? To try and figure out what the smell was, to try and clean the plumbing, to try and clean the grease traps, to try and clean out everything they could to fix. Because like, they were God. like, they were like, it's got to be us. Like I, we, we, we make right. sausage. It's got to be something. <laughs> right. We're a butcher. We, it's got to be something here. But. There's a drain clog somewhere. It's, we got to figure it out. But yeah, they spent like 20-something thousand dollars trying to figure it out. They were taking the blame for the smell for a while. Yeah, yeah. But it never, it never dissipated. <laughs> oh, no. They, it was just like, what do we have Why to do? Why is it still here? <laughs> but eventually they do find the source of that stench. Now, the relationship that Sowell had would fizzle out his romantic relationship and his violent actions would only escalate from there as they typically do because it would be during this time that Sowell would unfortunately claim the lives of at least 11 women and I did say at least 11 because that's just the number of bodies that would be found at his home. Now it's hard for anyone to know exactly when most of the murders took place due to a few factors like the type of woman he targeted the time in which they were reported missing, and sadly, the amount of effort that was put into finding some of them by the Cleveland police. Most investigators can agree, however, that Crystal Dozier, a 38-year-old woman, was the initial victim targeted by Anthony Swell during his violent killing spree. However, the date of her attack is unable to be confirmed. Dozier was a mother of seven and was struggling with drug addiction following the tragic death of one of her children. In May of 2007, Sowell enticed her into his residence with the promise of drugs, but upon entering the home, Dozier was raped and murdered by Anthony. Over a span of two years, Sowell would continue targeting women who he believed would not draw attention or be reported missing by their loved ones. Regrettably, this proved true for a number of his victims, as their disappearances would go unnoticed until their bodies were discovered on his premises several months or even sometimes years later. And the fact remains that some of his victims' families did report their loved ones' disappearances to police, but they failed to take these concerns seriously. 
Talk about, I mean, the less dead, man, right? We mention it a lot on this podcast. Absolutely. It's, it's, really a, do. It, it's a common theme. Some, or it's a common term where somebody is reported missing or they're reported that maybe some kind of attack or something. Right. And the police, you know, they ask like, oh, what do they do? What are their habits? And as soon as someone says, oh, they're, they're a sex worker mm-hmm. or they have a drug habit or they have some kind of, you know, you know, rebelliousness, anything like that. It, it was a common thing sometimes. Yep. Have sadly. they run away before? Yeah. To just kind yeah. of write it off as like, oh, she's probably in a drug den or right, she's probably right, right. shacked up with somebody or she... Like, it was a common thing, and sometimes it was. It sadly still happens sometimes with the term, like the less dead, the people who they don't think are as as important of victims to go search for. Yes, and we highlight a lot of these cases on Strange and Unexplained, guys. If you want to check out a lot of those, uh, like the Long Island serial killer, the the early stuff before Rex Hewerman came out. A lot of those cases, a lot of his victims were swept under the rug because of their lifestyle. Um, but like I said, we cover a lot of those things on Strange and Unexplained. You can find those episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. But let's get back to where we started with Anthony Sewell, when the women, the two of his only survivors, had finally come forward and decided to tell their stories to police. With the search warrant in hand, the officers showed up at the home on Imperial Avenue with really no idea of what they were about to walk into. Immediately, they were hit with the gut-wrenching stench that some officers are all too familiar with. The men knew that they had uncovered something horrific. And inside, things only got worse. They stumbled upon a shallow grave in Sowell's basement where they found two bodies. As their investigation progressed, they discovered an additional four bodies concealed in the crawl space, four others buried in the backyard, and within a bucket, a woman's skull was delicately wrapped in a paper bag. It almost kind of gives off like an Ed Gein type situation too, almost like having like the, a, dude, just a head in a bucket, like just the, the audacity, man, like to just to just leave it out. Yeah, like, to, you know. Spoiler alert: he he does plead insanity. Uh, I think in one of his last trials, and I think he's still trying to take that claim. He he tries if it anything, initially. He tries the initial plea of insanity, and they are just like, no, you okay. are yeah. But yeah, he does try it. But I mean, this does kind of give a little bit of credit to that. The fact that you would leave these things out you would leave a head in a in a bucket in your in your backyard like that's just that does seem like something a crazy person would do an insane person even someone who is not afraid of the consequences or who doesn't even seem that there are any consequences because like you're living or with this smell how long this... has he been doing it because what we see a lot of times when we study these killers is the longer they do it the more careless they get and when you're so careless as to leave a head in your backyard that's about as careless as it gets. Yeah, and that's the other thing. It's like when you talk about like someone like Gacy, and we talk about how this house was very Gacy-esque, Gacy still tried to cover up so much more of his crimes yes. by putting down, you know, uh, And he did have lie some in the, crawls in the basement and whatnot, but... He was trying to bury them and keep the smell down. He was trying to cover them with, what was it, lice or, or limestone? Or yeah, how was he trying yeah, to cover them with something? Like kitty litter. He's trying to but cover was... all the smell... Anthony was just living in it. He just kind of dug some shallow graves outside. There was just two bodies or bodies just in the crawl spaces, just kind of yeah. stuffed in there. He was just living in that decomposing smell yeah. for basically, God knows how long. So basically he was living in a three-story home and he was living on the top floor and the bottom two floors were whatever goes. That's where he spent time with these women. That's where most of his victims probably met their demise. And some of them were left where they were killed, I think. Like, as sad and as awful as that sounds, 
He kind of had just, like a out of sight, out of mind. He did. He would just go up to that third floor and forget all about it. Mm-hmm. They could just be anywhere in the back of the backyard, crawl here's space, what, here's basement. What's crazy, like the women that he brought in there afterwards, they had to walk past this stuff. Yeah. But you know, but I mean, obviously, you're not looking around when you go in someone's house. You're not. You're not trying to be rude. Like, yeah, you might smell. You might smell it. But I mean. Some people are nasty. People, some people are hoarders, and they got a bunch of shit, and their their property smells similar. You know what I'm saying? So, and when you got a sausage fa- a sausage shop right next door to your house, it yeah. is an easy write off to just be like, oh, it's the sausage place. Like if if it's a new person coming by, what's yeah. that smell? Oh, it's from the sausage place next door. They smell horrible. Right. It's very easy to write that off to somebody who's not familiar with it. Exactly. Exactly. There. But what I'm getting at is though, there was no hiding this home. There was no hiding the way it looked on the inside, the smell. Um, and honestly, it was fortunate for the investigators that Sowell wasn't home because if he was, I, I can't even imagine because you know you're not getting as soon as the police come in your front door with a warrant, you got you got one choice if you're in there. Yeah, as soon as they really. knock on, as soon as you're they knock either on going the door. to prison or you going down swinging. Yeah. And a man with military experience, seven years military experience with a lot to lose. And, and a lot of violent tendencies already. A lot of violent tendencies. I think he would have opened fire on them. I think, yeah, I think there was there was definitely going to be some bloodshed. If, if he would have been home when they got there, I do not think it would have gone down peacefully. No, we would have heard about him by now. That's for <laughs> sure. But uh, there's really no way of knowing what kind of incident could have unfolded if Anthony had been home. Um but uh, luckily, Sowell was apprehended two days later by patrol officers just a few blocks from his home. And by this point, damn near every available unit was out scouring the streets for the soon-to-be-coined Cleveland Strangler. Now, during the full scope of the investigation, a total of 11 women's remains were discovered in and around Sowell's property. The identified victims include Tanya Carmichael, Nancy Cobbs, Tashana Culver, Crystal Dozier, Talatia Forston, Amelda Hunter, LaShonda Long, Michelle Mason, Kim Yvette Smith, Diana Turner, Diane Turner, I'm sorry, and Janice Webb, most of whom had disappeared or been reported missing for years. So let's get into the actual allegations and conviction that Anthony faced. He faced charges of 11 counts of aggravated murder and 74 counts of rape, kidnapping, tampering with evidence, and abuse of a corpse. Initially, he of course entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. However, he later changed his plea to just simply not guilty. I feel like he didn't have enough evidence for the insanity. You don't think so? I feel like it's a strong case, but it's not strong enough. It's definitely not strong enough, but it's his only choice. He was still trying to live a normal life. It's like he wasn't only doing this. It's like he was was still trying to go make money, to go out and meet people and go out in life. So it's, it kind of, you didn't have like the Ed Gein-ness of it of being like, this is all he does. Like he's just kind of gone into this now. Like, Right, right, right. He's making furniture out of them, right? Yeah. That, that in that sense, yeah, that's definitely insanity. That's a lot easier to get the insanity. Or, or like, a, or like a Richard Chase type type character. It's like you you clearly have a mental disorder where you're mm-hmm. you're you're hearing voices. Your people are telling you to do these things. Right. Herbert Mullins. Yeah, he he couldn't yeah. really pull that off when you're clearly trying to go also live a normal life. Exactly. Exactly. But on July twenty second, two thousand eleven, he was found guilty on all but two accounts including the murders of the 11 women whose bodies were discovered in his residence in 2009. 
Subsequently, on August 10th, the jurors recommended the implementation of the death penalty. The following day, Judge Dick Ambrose upheld the jury's recommendation, and consequently, on September 14th, Sowell was placed on death row and incarcerated at the Chilcoth Correctional Institution. Now, during Sowell's trial and incarceration, multiple previously unsolved cases were reopened, dating all the way back to the mid-1980s, specifically before Sowell's initial 15-year prison stint. So far, however, none of these have turned up any solid leads connecting them to the Cleveland Strangler. But with the incarceration of Anthony Sowell, one of the darkest chapters in Cleveland's history had finally come to a close. And the people who were the most in danger of this deadly predator were finally safe to walk the streets again. The crimes committed by Anthony Sowell in the subsequent trial had a profound and enduring impact, not only on the city of Cleveland, but also on a wider scale. The tragedy served as a catalyst for meaningful conversations regarding the need to enhance support systems for vulnerable individuals, ensuring that their safety and well-being are not disregarded. Moreover, it shed light on the imperative need for systemic reform within law enforcement agencies. However, amidst the grim circumstances, some may argue that there is a small glimmer of positivity. Despite multiple appeals, all of which were either denied or overlooked, Anthony Sowell passed away in prison in 2020 due to an undisclosed illness while awaiting his execution. Probably COVID. You know, I he, mean, probably, he probably got the vid. I mean, it's 2020, right in the middle of yeah. it. He's a, like, what was he, probably like about, about 60 years old at this point. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Black man in prison, probably not getting the best health care. Yeah, I, yeah I, I hope COVID got his lungs and then he couldn't breathe. Yeah, I, I like feel like he did to all those people. I've, I hope the Cleveland Strangler got suffocated by COVID. Right. Like, I hope you died of like that. Would lung, be like, some poetic justice. You got choked to death by COVID. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he deserves. That's what he deserves. But there you have it, folks. Uh, the case of Anthony Sowell, a.k.a. the Cleveland Strangler. Probably the only serial killer with a moniker that we haven't covered yet, aside from, like, the Toy Box Killer, which I'm not I'm not excited about that one. I just don't want to um, have it in my brain anymore. Even though it won't stay there long, Andy. Um, but one of the he's one of the more recent, yet still lesser-known serial killers, really, of the 21st century. A story that, you know, both of us were shocked that we had never heard before, like we, like we said, and one that we hope gets a little more light in the future. Um, because it's really, it's our hope that cases like this continue to become a thing of the past and not something that these people who live in these more vulnerable lifestyles should have to worry about. Because the truth of the matter is everyone deserves those rights, the, the rights of safety, right? The rights of freedom and to, to make money and be happy. And everyone deserves the same amount of effort put into their, their disappearance, their death, yes. their, their, they, there needs to be the, that's what they're talking about with the, syst the systemic change. Every, like all crimes or all victims need to be treated with the same amount of, you know, urgency and manpower and ferocity that could be done for, you know, a missing child or, you know, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, Andy, you got anything else for the, for this week? I do not, my man. I got some. Uh, we got some. Oh my Gaia stuff. I can oh, probably talk about oh because I think uh, I think I'm sweating in here a little oh. bit right now. I think we need to talk about some some fresh scents we could get going up in here. Indeed. Are you wearing uh, what scent are you wearing today, Andy? I, I still got that true crime pine. Oh, you like I got that it, true crime I got pine? It in the, I got it in the beard and I got it in the pits. Oh, you got it in the beard and the pits. Make that beard so doubling smooth. Doubling up on the true crime pine. I hear you. I hear you. It's a great fall scent, guys. If you don't know where to start, check out Oh My Gaia. 
Oh My Guy is an innovative, all-natural deodorant fragrance and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. And their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. That's key, right? Your deodorant, yeah, you want it to be healthy, but you still want it to work. You still want to smell good. And lucky for you, Oh My Guy has so many scents to choose from, from vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, Fireside, there's Barbershop, Sailor, True Crime Pine, as Andy spoke of earlier. That's a great place to start. A great unisex scent. A great fall scent, too. You know, pines are evergreen. They're all, they always smell good. But you guys, because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off your order. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. And again, use code word CREEPER to get 15, 15% off, not 50, 15, okay? It's an amazing product. She got to make some money. Wendy is amazing. Tell her True Crime Guys sent you. And guys, if you're watching on YouTube, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Please check out the shorts. We put up new shorts from recent episodes almost every single night. If you guys like, share those, we appreciate it very much. And of course, the best way to support the show is Patreon. Patreon.com slash True Crime Guys, where for just five bucks a month, you can get access to everything that we have ever made. If, if you guys don't know, um, before Andy came on board, we had another host, Lauren, who was here for the first six years of the podcast. Um, he kind of did the role that I'm in right now as, as the main host, and I was kind of more of the co-host. You can find all those old episodes. A lot of them are still on the free platform. But you can find our earliest episodes of True Crime Guys from all the way back to January of 2017, I believe, um, in the vault on Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash Guys. So if you guys are looking for so much entertainment, it is there. It is there on the $5 tier, as well as recent Patreon exclusives like uh, Eldon, the zombie killer that me and Andy covered last month. We'll be doing another Patreon exclusive this month, guys, that will obviously only be available on Patreon in video form as well. And we are definitely getting back to some cult shit this time, We are guys. definitely we getting back to some cult, some cult shit, shit on Patreon because that's where we start our cult. I mean, that's where... It's a, it's it's a, a, it's a marketing it's a, it's a, a marketing mar- plan, Yeah, Michael. it's just the Patreon. Um, but yeah, guys, everything we make there, higher thoughts, uh, Sandu stories, everything that we release will be on that $5 tier on the True Crime Guys Patreon. There's a link right below the description of this episode as well as to our YouTube page as well as to Oh My Gaia and any other sponsors that you heard in this episode. Okay? I think that's pretty much it. Andy, did I cover everything? I think you're doing a pretty good job, Michael. I think you're hitting Thank all you. your banging on all cylinders, getting everything I'm out there. I'm feeling good today. I feel like I'm we just have, today. like, when you're talking, just like a pop and a pop yeah. and a pop yeah, and I a hope, pop. Just uh, a different... Pop, put it there. Like a Vanna yeah. White doing my side. You. I should have that yeah. showing all the things on the screen. <laughs> my wife, Kristen, who edits the videos, is just loving this right now. I'm just going to have to have, okay. like, cue cards and just, like, drop different logos <laughs> as I go. Just pop, pop, like yeah, a Bob Dylan be song. Like, you put your own freaking... <laughs> it's like a Bob Dylan music video, just <laughs> dropping, like, little album covers. And of we'll just picture and picture you in the corner so you're right there. Yeah, there we go. All right. Well, all right, guys. That's all we got this week. We will see you next week for a brand new True Crime Guys episode on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. Until then, just keep on creeping. We'll see you. Bye. You hush your mouth, boy.